Well, as, uh, as many of you may be aware, uh, throughout this Lenten season, uh, we have been going through a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed, which is a statement of faith that has united Christians of all denominations for centuries. Um, and historically, the Apostles' Creed has had three main uses. Uh, first, it's been used as a confession of faith for those about to be baptized, uh, which we still do today. Uh, Secondly, it's been used as a way of instructing new Christians in the essentials of the faith. And thirdly, it's been used as a rule of faith or kind of a a measuring stick uh, by which we base our beliefs as Christians on. Um, And the Apostles' Creed has no authority in and of itself, but rather points outside itself to Scripture. So each week in this sermon series, we've been taking a chunk of the Apostles' Creed and exploring it in light of Scripture. Uh, If you think back to last week, we talked about how we will be judged on the basis of our actions, not because our actions save us, but because they are a reflection of how deeply the grace of God has permeated our hearts. And this week, uh, we are going to talk more about uh, this idea that the uh, effect of God's grace has upon our hearts and lives. So if you've been saved by grace through faith, God is in the the process of turning your life around, of of transforming you into the person that He would have you to be. And this, this process of God's grace more deeply permeating your heart and life is known in the church as sanctification. So that's your $10 word for this morning you can take home with you. You're welcome. Um, It's known as sanctification, and God accomplishes this work by His Holy Spirit, uh, which dwells in the the hearts of each person who's come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we sometimes uh, tend to have a a low view of the Holy Spirit, uh, especially in mainline denominations such as the United Methodist Church. Uh, If you look at the the sections of our songbooks and hymnals that are dedicated to the Holy Spirit, they are itty-bitty. Because um, we're not sure what to do with the Holy Spirit. And, may, and maybe it's just that we're not uh, quite sure, uh, you know, how to, how to view the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's the person of the Trinity that seems to be shrouded in the most mystery. Uh, we hear plenty from the Father and the Son in the Bible, but the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to get any lines. Now, the key word there is seem. Because even though the Holy Spirit doesn't speak directly, the Holy Spirit has been speaking throughout the course of human history and continues to speak today. While the Holy Spirit doesn't speak directly, He speaks to God's people through God's people. And not only does the Holy Spirit not speak directly, He doesn't even speak His own words. When Jesus is telling the apostles of the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13, He says, However, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all truth. He won't speak on His own, but will say whatever He hears and will proclaim to you what is to come. So when we say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we're professing to believe in the person of the Trinity who makes our faith come alive. The founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, saw a genuine experience of the Holy Spirit as the key to a vital faith life. And this is because it's it's by the Holy Spirit that God reshapes us 
in His image. Like I said, recreates us into the person that He would have us to be after we come to faith in Jesus. And this is the issue that that Paul is addressing in his letter to the Galatians that Bob just read for us. Uh, The Galatians had begun to rely on adherence to the law in order to attain holiness. And this was due to a, a group in the church known as the Judaizers, who tried to mix elements of the Jewish faith with the new message of Christianity. So the message of Christianity is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And the message of the Judaizers was Jesus plus the law equals salvation. So the Judaizers believed that if you wanted to be truly saved, you had to adhere to the Jewish law and remain faithful to all of the Jewish practices of the day. And that was the way to true salvation. Um, So a good part of of Paul's letter to the Galatians consists of him telling those who had submitted to the teaching of these Judaizers, you're going about it all wrong. The law was never sufficient because it took an outside-in approach to transforming our hearts and lives. Because no matter how many sacrifices were made on the altar to atone for our sins, or how hard us humans tried to follow God's law, the commands of God's law, one problem still persisted. The human heart. No amount of of external laws or rules could change the fact that our hearts long after things that are not of God. Okay, case in point. I know that pizza particularly pan-style pizza with delicious buttery garlic crust is bad for me, okay? But I was out of town helping with the junior high confirmation retreat this weekend, so do you know what I had for two of my meals? (laughs) Pan-style pizza with delicious buttery garlic crust. And why? Because even though I knew it was bad for me, I still wanted it. And that, brothers and sisters, is the human condition in a nutshell. All right? Even though we know something is bad for us, okay? whether for our bodies or for our relationships or our minds or especially our souls, our hearts still long after those things. And then we whine when our pants don't fit like they used to, but I digress. So, you see, what, what us wayward humans need is a transformation that starts on the inside and works its way out. God acknowledges the the need for this kind of inside-out transformation multiple times throughout the Old Testament. A great example is Ezekiel chapter 36, 26 through 27, which says, A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove from your body the heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances or commands. So through this scripture, we we can see that God's plan all along was not to work righteousness within us by outward adherence to rules, but rather by an inward transformation of our hearts. But notice the, the purpose stated in this passage from Ezekiel. It's, it's not that we would be free 
from God's laws, demands of righteousness, but that God would create in us hearts of flesh that beat for His way of living. Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34 also points to this promise. It says, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. So what we learn from these scriptures is that the God's plan all along was to transform us from the inside out by the work of His Spirit and thereby write His law on our hearts. And because of this, Paul's argument in his letter to the Galatians is that even though we are free from keeping the law in a traditional sense like the Judaizers might have the church in Galatia do, we are not free from the law's moral demands. And that's why he prefaces this section of his letter with verses 13 through 15, which says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Now the point of of saying this is that we need to be careful how we define freedom as Christians. In Christ, we're, we're given freedom from the external rules and regulations of the law, but this freedom from the law does not mean we have the freedom to do whatever we want. And I'm going to say something that that we as Americans uh, aren't going to like to hear, but I'm I'm going to say it anyway because I'm your pastor and I care about the well-being of your soul. There is no such thing as free will. There is no such thing as free will. But rather, we only possess the liberty to make the choices that God has put before us. We only possess the liberty to make the choices that God has put before us. So think about this. Let's think about the, the creation story. Okay? God created Adam and Eve, placed them in the Garden of Eden, and, and granted them the liberty to choose whether or not to follow His one rule. Don't eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what did we do? We exercised our God-given liberty to disobey God's one command. And today, our our situation is pretty much the same. We're placed in this world with a choice. Follow God's ways or follow the ways of the world. Now notice I say follow because we would be kidding ourselves if we think that we're exercising free will when we choose to follow the ways of the world. So let's, let's go back to talking about pizza. I like talking about pizza. Okay? See, I, I could call up Pizza Hut and order a family-sized deep pan double pepperoni pizza and eat the entire thing myself because this is America, and if I feel like eating an entire family-sized pizza by myself, nobody's going to stop me, right? But will I find freedom in a family-sized deep pan double pepperoni pizza? 
course not. I'll more, more than likely find a heart attack, right? Now, of course, this idea doesn't just apply to gluttonous pizza consumption, but any worldly thing that we try to find freedom in. You see, the more we try to run from God, the more we find ourselves enslaved to the thing that we are trying to find, quote, freedom in. And eventually, if, if we're wise, we will realize that true freedom is not found in following the ways of this world, but rather in keeping in step with God's Spirit, which leads us to a life of freedom from sin. And this is all to say that if we define freedom as license to do whatever we want, by default, we will be going against what God wants for us. And Paul explains this in verses 16 through 18 of our passage. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires, uh, what the flesh desires is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So essentially, the flesh and the Spirit are at odds one another, with one another. They're, they're not compatible. And if we exercise the liberty that God grants us by living in the flesh and following the ways of the world, the fruits of this choice are obvious, Paul says. Sexual immorality, verses 19 through 21. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Paul says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, on the flip side, if we exercise our God-given liberty to follow God's Spirit, here are the fruits of a Spirit-centered life. Verses 22 through 23. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, a.k.a. patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul says, against such things, there is no law. Now, this is a kind of, of character that God wants to work in us through His Spirit. But we first have to open our hearts to God in order for Him to, to be able to do that. And I, I think the best way to, to think about this is in terms of a house. So Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So accepting the, the grace of Jesus Christ is, is like letting Jesus through your front door to stand in the entryway of your house. But living a life in the Spirit involves letting Him actually make Himself at home in your house. John 14, 23 says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. That means living life in the Spirit looks like simply opening your home to Jesus. 
There's a big difference in, in how I would open my home to someone I don't know, like a door-to-door salesman, and how I would open my home to a family member or a close friend. Uh, Jessica and I uh, love hosting people, and our policy with family and close friends is my house is your house, right? There's trust there. I, I don't want them to feel like they can't use something or go somewhere. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. I, I also want strangers to feel welcome in my home. Uh, I might invite them to uh, sit on my couch and offer them a, a cup of coffee, but if they ask to go to the bathroom and don't return for 45 minutes, I'll probably start to worry a little bit, right? Because there's not an existing relationship of, of trust and love. Or let's think about this from the other side. Uh, you, you probably have family members or friends who uh, maybe have given you a key to their house. Uh, and you could probably walk into that house at any given moment, unannounced, and say, Hey, I'm hungry. Mind if I grab a bite to eat? And they'd say, Sure. And you'd walk into the kitchen, open the fridge, and grab yourself a ham sandwich. Now, if you walked up to a stranger's house and tried the same thing, that would probably end very differently. Now, the question is, for us today, is Jesus welcome in your home? Have you let him pass the entryway, or do you prefer to treat him like a door-to-door salesman? Or maybe you've let him into your house, but there are rooms in your house that you make sure he can't get into. You might say, my house is your house, Jesus, except for that one room in the back corner. Don't go in there. But transformation happens when we unlock the doors to those dark rooms and let Jesus in. By the Holy Spirit's power, Jesus cleans up the mess and replaces the fruit of the self and the fruit of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. Now, you might be sitting here this morning thinking, but, but Pastor, my house is so messy, I, I don't even know if I could get to the front door to let Jesus in, all right? And, and I, I couldn't possibly even begin to clean this mess up. And you know what? You're right. You can't. But God can. And that's why Paul calls us to die to ourselves. Verses 24 and 25 of our passage, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucifi- crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we are called to die to ourselves, to die to life in the flesh, because there is something far greater worth living for, namely, true freedom in God's love. And if we truly love God more than the world and desire to follow the ways of the Spirit over the ways of this world, sacrifice is required. And this is true in many areas of life. The the more you love something or someone, the more you'll be willing to sacrifice for that thing or, or person. For example, take your favorite hobby. By spending time and money on on what you love to do, you are in effect saying that you will not spend time or money on other things that you otherwise could. Or, let's take marriage, for example. If you're married, when you took your wedding vows, you vowed to forsake all others. 
You said, out of, out of all the people in the world that I could be with, I'm in effect saying no to them and yes to you and only you. Or maybe you have kids. I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to, to find a parent who wouldn't jump in front of a bus to save their kid. The point is, love is worthy of sacrifice. So if we're willing to sacrifice certain things out of love for things and people in our lives, shouldn't it be the same for Jesus? If we continue to live a a me-centered existence, it's essentially like telling Jesus, you're not welcome here. Get out of my house. Or just stay in the entryway. But if we sacrifice our desires for the things of this world, it's like telling Jesus, make your home here. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus wants to set you free from every sin that is holding you back from full relationship with Him. He wants to break down every door to every dark and dreary and messy room in your house and shine the light of the Holy Spirit into the darkest corners of your heart. And the question is, are you willing to let Him, or are you going to keep the doors locked? Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Holy Spirit, which You promised to send, even in the Old Testament, Lord, to to put your spirit within our hearts and make us into the people that you would have us to be. And Lord, I just pray that if if anyone here just has that that room, that when I say uh, a dark room locked away from Jesus' presence, Lord, and they know exactly what I'm talking about, Lord, I just pray that you would grant them the strength by your grace to unlock that door. And let Jesus in. Lord, I pray that any area of our lives that that we're trying to hide from your presence, hide from your holy light, Lord, that you would just penetrate right through that. You, You would break those walls down that we try to build up to hold on to those things to separate us from you. Lord, and that you you would just begin that work of transformation in our hearts. Lord, even if we're far along on our faith journey, there there are continually ways that we need to surrender our hearts and our lives over to You. There are ways that we continue to to try to resist Your grace, resist Your presence. Lord, I just pray that You would continue to break those walls down. So Lord, would we come to more deeply know Your grace? Would you work that fruit of the Spirit in us? Lord, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. As we seek to know you more deeply. And as we seek to allow the presence of your Spirit to transform our hearts and lives. So we just pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.